The Drum Candy Podcast is brought to you by Drum Factory Direct. What's up, everyone? Welcome into episode 18 of the Drum Candy Podcast. This is your host, Mike Dawson. I'm coming to you from Drum Factory Direct in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. This week's guest is veteran touring drummer Kevin Murphy, who's currently out on the road with John Party. He's been down in Nashville for a while working that scene. Um, but prior to John Party, he toured Randy Hauser. And then I believe prior to coming to Nashville, he was in the alternative band Tonic. So uh, lots of knowledge in this conversation. We focus mostly, I want to focus mostly on you know what's it take to be the pro level touring drummer because uh, there's a lot to the gig beyond just getting out there and playing the songs and of course we talk about some gear um, so yeah this is a long one so without further ado let's get to it kevin murphy i will answer any question honestly all right then <laughs> and abrasively most likely <laughs> well, let's begin simple how is the uh how's the the live show situation going now that everyone is kind of back and rolling does it feel normal or is it strangely different i um i don't know that normal is the right word for 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 what's going on um and i i I gotta be i don't think that normal will exist again Mm. like ever uh i think that what was touring in 2019 and how that felt and honestly, I think touring is kind of done um, being what it was several years ago. Mm-hmm. And even pre-COVID, some stuff had changed about it to where it's not its not just an inclusive party anymore. Now, uh, for the first time in my life ever, and I've been touring since 1993 uh, regularly, uh, for literally the first time ever, there are political flags flying at concerts. Hmm. So it, it had already shifted. Um, um, but COVID really put a nail in it. So I don't think, I don't think touring will end, but I think that in the inclusivity and the, and the closeness of it, I think that has shifted. And now it's certainly different vibe backstage. There's like, it, no one's just there aren't people just kind of milling around and um i've never it's been a long time since i've been in a band that like kind of partied backstage mm-hmm. a- anyway um i mean i think there's like three single people on our whole tour on our whole crew you know um so it's not like oh there's partying and raging but even if they if i were in a boy band right now there'd be nobody backstage. Mm. (laughs) Um, You know, some venues have masks, some don't. Some have, you know, crew uh, uh, mandates that the crew, local crew leave the stage when we come for sound check and some don't. Um, We're just kind of, I think everyone in our camp, I I know everybody in our camp is vaccinated. Um, So we're just doing our thing and hopefully if somebody gets sick, that person will go home or quarantine wherever we are and and uh maybe we'll stop the tour i don't know i'm you know it's weird being a hired gun because you find out last mm-hmm. and and people think oh hey you you know every you know they think we're in the know and people will send me songs to give to john i'm like i'm not giving 
if I had that power, I would write songs with John. <laughs> I write songs too, you know, like, um, and John and I are friends and we get, you know, but I think most of the people in Nashville are like me where they kind of find out, we don't find out first, like, you know, I'll find out when the public finds out if there's been some shows canceled because of mm. COVID or whatever, you know, um, but the attitude of touring has definitely shifted in the last few years and COVID kind of definitely, but the final, just it pulled the final card on a shift in it. And I don't think we're ever going to go back to just kind of 400 people in a meet and greet mm. and stuff like that. Um, we have a bar that travels with us and if friends come out or whatever, and they're vaccinated or family or whatever, I know that, you know, Jojo's coming out with me next week and she'll just cram in my bunk and stuff. You know, we can still do fun stuff, mm. but I think that uh, a lot of the, there's always kind of a tension now as to is something going to get canceled. I mean, there's, there's bands and groups in Nashville that are just have called it quits completely. And just been like, ah, we're tired. It's been two years. We're just going to take our money and run, you know? So that's happening too. Do you have to have like a sub ready to go in case you test positive or something? Seems Mm -hmm. like a strange situation to be in. Well, it's an interesting, no, technically, but I think all of us know who the likely in Nashville, at least, we all know who the likely candidates are to sub for us. Hmm. Now I'm in a very, very lucky situation because uh, two of the crew members, well, one is Circus is Will Easterwood, who has been with me for a couple of years now and is our stage manager and drum tech. And he has covered for me before when I had, was when I went to the hospital for something a few couple of years ago. Uh, and next week, a new crew member comes on who is one of my other very good friends who is also a Jeff Brown, who is also a phenomenal drummer. Okay. So I, I, I'm kind of covered if something happens to me. Um, you know, I, I had an emergency a couple of years ago and went to the hospital and Will played two nights for me. And I don't imagine there would be some mad dash to get mm. somebody to fly in, you know, but most people in Nashville kind of know, like if Redmond, probably knows in his mind that me and probably five or 10 other people he knows he would call. But the problem is most of the guys on the level that aren't going to freak out the crowd or aren't going to be weird about the gear. They're just going to fly in and sit down at whatever they're given and do a Jason Aldean show or a John party show or a Dirk show. Most of the people that can do that well uh, are on other tours. Oh yeah. So I think, I think there's some guys in town that can cover it. And I think everybody has a running dialogue in their head. Like, Oh, if I get sick, you know, I think, but, but no, no one has really talked about it. Like, Hey, learn my set. Mm. You know, are you being extra careful in your day to day to make sure you don't get exposed? Yeah. Uh, uh, Jojo and I, um, spent, uh, we saw maybe I, th- I saw it, during the entire bulk of 2020, I, I saw my daughter and Ben Caesar. Mm. <laughs> that's, that's a small circle. Uh, yeah, me, she, and I. You know, we stayed we stayed really safe at the house, and we, we instacarted our foods, and like, we were very careful, and we and we mask out now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that ultimately, I don't know that there's a way not to turn this into a whole different thing, but had everyone just gotten, had everyone just been reasonable about this from the beginning, we wouldn't be dealing with it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So I don't know that there's a way now to avoid like herd immunity is, is, is a practical impossibility at this point. Um, so I don't know that we're not going to get to the point where just everybody has gotten it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that we, you know, I, so I, I know that at some point, you know, we're going to deal with it. Uh, we, we're as safe as we can be. I'm in Tennessee where there's a lot of people who kind of don't believe in science. Um, and are kind of screwing it up for everybody else. Uh, but in our little circle in, in where we live, um, it seems pretty reasonable. Uh-huh. I, haven't, I haven't seen a lot of, I haven't seen a lot of anti-mask meltdowns in public, you know? So we just try to stay here. I don't, we don't go out a lot. We, we, when we do go to dinner or something, we try to sit outside and we have, we, but we're vegan. So we eat, we have like three places we can go eat. Right. So, you know, we, we kind of hide. So we don't, but we don't go to, we've had some shows that we wanted to go to that we didn't. And we've had some, you know, there, we've been asked to come to events and stuff that we haven't gone to specifically uh-huh. because, and I'm going to look on the, I think what I, uh, we looked last week and there was kind of no rapid tests around us. I think I'm going to, either online or whatever, buy like a bunch and just have them. And we try to make sure that I'm feeling good before I leave. Cause I don't want to go to, we went to Alaska last week. And one of my biggest concerns were, I don't want to like pop positive in Anchorage mm-hmm. and be stuck in a, for two weeks <laughs> in a really, tra- you know, in a really kind of, you know, rural area of, of Anchorage outside of Anchorage for two weeks, you know, um, so that scares me, mm. but we're real safe when we're here or relatively safe. We don't, we don't, we, we already don't do a lot. You know, I'm, I'm here, you know, I, 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 I stay here. She's like a total introvert. So like we, we stay pretty small when we're in town. Is we're, not like, we're not like Kia. We don't, we don't hit the, <laughs> we, don't, we don't have bars to go to, you know, I learn, I, I live vicariously through Kia now. He I'm can sure. just go, he can go drink. I'm sure he's got the antibodies. He can share some with you. <laughs> Keo, I don't think anything can kill Keoshrell. <laughs> is the cycle still like Thursday through Saturday or Wednesday through Saturday? <laughs> Mostly in Nashville. Um, I was actually texting name drop. Bleak. I was uh, I was texting with um, Ray Luzier last night about a, a, I was doing a session and this just the heaviest drum I ever felt was on the session and the producer was like, oh, that's Luzier's, and I was texting him like the hell is this and why is it here and not at your house and uh he was like yeah i'm gone until october something mm. i'll see you when i'm back and maybe you and jojo can come to the house you know or whatever and i was like oh yeah i remember the rock rock bands don't go home <laughs> right <laughs> and and you know but we are nashville is typically either a wednesday or a thursday night bus call at midnight, which is different than New York or LA or Pittsburgh or wherever Atlanta, because we actually have all the buses. Mm-hmm. Like if you hop on a tour, the you're flying from Pittsburgh mm-hmm. to the first show and then getting on the bus. Right. And when right. I was in Tonic and it, everybody was out of LA and I was out of Virginia, we would all fly to like Chicago and then the bus we would we would do a show and then the buses would be the rest of the city. In Nashville, there's 3,000 buses that leave this town every Wednesday and Thursday night. Mm-hmm. You know, they're all west of town or north of town on the same like road. They're just lot after lot of tour buses. And we all go there and park our cars and hop on and go to sleep. Usually it's midnight, uh, Wednesday or Thursday, and then we're back Sunday morning. This next run I'm on, our buses haven't been home in a month 
because we've been out west and Alaska and Boise and stuff. So we keep flying. The bus will pick us up. I think we're flying to LAX. The buses will be there waiting on us down the street on La Cienega or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they'll swing through, grab us. We'll, we'll all pile on and then, you know, make a snack, pour a drink, whatever, uh, go to sleep and wake up in Fresno. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to do 10 days and then I'll fly home and then I'll fly to Pennsylvania and see if the buses will drive all the way across the country and meet us. But yeah, it's weekends typically. Uh, every Usually everybody has one long run per year. That's like two weeks. Mm. So two weeks is a long run for you. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I remember in tonic we would do months mm-hmm. and it was... It, you know, it was like you could, or or that era of my life. I remember the band I was in prior to that. You you didn't you didn't have a home return date. Mm. You just you would fly home when you when you had a couple of days and an extra six hundred bucks for a plane ticket. You know? Let's talk about your uh, current touring kit since we're in that mode. Is it different than pre COVID or is it the same rig? Um, it's about the same because I think this year, honestly, when we started, I did. I was like, oh, well, let's not change anything mm-hmm. for a couple of reasons. The first one was, well, this thing's liable to get, the rug's liable to get pulled out from under us because we are now living in, in a country where there is logic and intellect and science, and then there is the absolute opposite of that. And, uh, you know, I, where we tour in a genre where there's a lot of people that kind of aren't going to, they're not going to vaccinate, they're not going to wear masks, they're not going to care about the people around them they're going to do what they want to do um and to them that's patriotic and we're gonna you know i thought well we might get two shows and get the rug pulled out from under us or 10 shows or three or three months so i didn't want to change anything Uh and make it i didn't want to because they you know a lot of people don't quite grasp when they're like i want to add this or i want to add that or why don't you change stuff and um, they don't grasp that when if I add one snare drum, I w- I'm going to probably next year add a 10 inch tom. So I'm going to have three up, three, three up, two down. <clears throat> if I want to add that, my monitor engineer has to has to change his desk because we are maxed out mm. for channels. So if I add one more channel, he needs a new console and then <laughs> or, or at least an expansion card. And those are fifteen thousand dollars or whatever. <laughs> Um, there is a whole other cable that needs to be run. And right now we have a loom. We have, you know, basically a sub snake that sits on my deck that I fill up every input and all of that goes to the monitor board. Well, if I had one thing, they need to redo that <laughs> to make room for that. And, you know, everybody, and then I, then everybody has to get a new mix with that thing that I just added. Your 10 inch tall. <laughs> yeah. One thing, one extra snare. So typically that's why I don't change things in the, middle of something mm-hmm. right they have it set when this tour this touring year is over i will change the whole kit i didn't want to ask for a drum set in the middle of covid um ludwig technically i don't know the, the word o's isn't really accurate but you know i have an endorsement deal with them and it's like every other year every third year i, I get a certain amount of stuff mm-hmm. um um and Uli and those guys are amazing. And, you know, he would, he would have, he would have scrounged up something if I'd have said, Hey, I really need whatever. Um, 
but why? Why? Well, I just certainly didn't need it in 2020, and uh, they sound great. I like Red Sparkle, uh, and I didn't. Again, I didn't know if we were going to get a tour. I thought we might get to July and it gets shut down, you know. And here we are, heaviest month of the year. I leave tomorrow for LA, like I said, and I'll be gone for ten days. And we have like I don't know, fifteen shows after that, sporadic until the end of the year for us. So it looks like we're going to get to through it all, maybe. Um, or most likely then I'll change it so right. over the winter the monitor engineer already told me Elliot already said I'm getting a new console and blah 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 so I might call Uli and be like hey I want one of those citrus mod whatever but I might just get a red tom and add it to the and just like I'll be the I'll, they'll be the I'll be the I'll be the best endorser ever who only got one kit. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a pro tip right there. Don't be a pain in the ass. <laughs> Don't be a pain in the ass. I haven't talked to Chad Brandolini in months, and I desperately need sticks. <laughs> uh, I, t- I spoke to Chris Brady at Aquarian the other day, and he was like, "Man, we're you know we're we're resources are expensive now, mm-hmm. and just getting the the aluminum to make the extrusions to go to to make the the hoops." you can't find it so he's going to send me what he can you know of the heads i need but i've gone to, i keep going to forks and just buying my stuff and you know stanky said the same thing about you know the some sabians so like i'm trying not to be a pain in the ass and changing i'm not changing anything mm-hmm. um i'm going to do PASIC this year so i think sabian's going to send me some stuff for that but like i'm not changing stuff on the kit you know i'll deal with it in the winter what is the what is the rig? It's a Ludwig classic maple. Yep, plain old red sparkle. I I I want, long time ago I had this really um, I had a sonar kit that was built for Danny Carey, and nice. I think it was supposed to be his on the tour that he used that Peisty kit. Mm-hmm. I, I, I remember. I think it was it was something they built that was going to like might have ended up. His, I ended up with that kit. And I remember when I played it, I kind of, it was a great kit, but I remember feeling like, no, no, fraud isn't the word, but I remember feeling like, like a, like an asshole. Because I remember thinking, well, I remember playing it thinking like, man, if somebody likes me or this kit and they're like, I want to have that, they're going to drop $15,000. They're not going to be able to, A, they're probably not going to be able to afford it, but B, I'm not sure you can either even order what I ended up with. It was like yeah. this spiral cut walnut root thing with like nickel hard. It was like all this crazy stuff. And I was like, there's no way like a normal person that isn't like a heart surgeon can get this kit. Mm-hmm. And I love the fact that when Uli and I were talking about my first kit with Ludwig, I was like, well, I already got these, this three piece, this four piece maple, like this classic, just six ply right up the middle red sparkle kit can you just add some stuff to that and it was like mm. sure oh, okay. i like i like the fact that if some 14 year old is at our show or 40 year old for that matter if somebody's at our show and they're like man that sounds great i dig that dude i want to i want to i want to play those i like the fact that they can find the the, the drums i play anywhere mm. so no custom mods edges no are custom mods. standard and edges are standard. I think our tom mounts are those indie mounts now mm-hmm. because they had the uh, the triad ones on it, and um, I'm not sure. No, they didn't. They had uh, rims on it, and I just wanted less metal showing. And at the time, 
uh, for whatever reason, I had those indie mounts like at, at my house or whatever, and I was just like, well, let's just use these bzz, bzz, and put them on. Um, but that's it. No mods. My my snare drum is scrolled, John. You know, uh, John. You know, Aldrich scrolled it. But other than that, what is that? Is that a Black Beauty? Oh yeah, six and a half Black Beauty. People ask me if it's a old one, but it's not. It's you know five years old or whatever. And John. He did tell me that was the first quad scroll he did. So it's got four layers of scrolling. Um, and I think only me and Sutter have that. Nice. <laughs> you know, Sutter's got that. <laughs> he's got, yeah, I got that drum and these $20,000 shoes. Uh, you know, but yeah. Um, yeah, no mods. It's a 12, a 13, uh, a racks, and a 14 and a 16 floors. And that just ended up like that. I actually always wanted to go like 12 13 15 18 because mm -hmm. i like that big jump at the bottom but um these work great we tune them you know bear tunes them great um i think a tan will be cool up top and i'm probably just gonna keep them like that i have a 20 at home i have a 20 here a 20 inch kick to go with it but yeah that's it and i have a little the 13 that i use for the side snare that's tuned down is like a student model I don't know, steal something. It, it, you know, it's a Ludwig. It's like the cheapest student model snare you can get. It's mm. 13 inches and it's great. I, and I didn't even order that from my deal. I bought it at a guitar center. I was nice. on the road and I was like, yeah, well, it's $110 or something. <laughs> what is and the kick? A 22? 22 inch kick. And now I'm using their the new kick pedal, that Speed Flyer, mm. which is awesome. Waiting for the double because I don't play double kicks well and I want to John did a tribute song on that on that Metallica tribute album and Miles did a bunch of double kick stuff on when, when he tracked it so now I've got to figure out how to do it nice that's the worst double kick yeah. I can't do it either I've <laughs> tried for 30 years <laughs> I can't do it um, I mean I'm okay but but yeah and so those are the drums that's it those those drums and um, I have a big what looks like a gong drum but it's hiding it's just a hollowed out shell that's hiding an SPD in it. Mm. Um, so when people see the kit, they think I have a gong drum to my left, but I don't. Um, and I have a bunch of complex HHX uh, Sabians with a couple of other borrowed plates because I can't get a big stack of stuff from them right now. Mm -hmm. you right. Know? And I don't want to ask for it. I'm probably going to try some artisans or something like that, um, but I love them. Uh, Aquarian Super 2's up top, Classic Clear's on the bottom, Force uh, the Force 1 on the kick, um, and the Super 2's are, when people are like, inevitably they they never try that head, they always try like Response 2's or whatever, and everybody mm -hmm. I talk to, I'm just like, go to that one, it's a, it's a 5 and a 7 mil, so it's like, it's got a little more to the tom, um, and uh, Vader, I was using West Sides, but now I use just the long wood tip 5Bs, like the 5B Extreme or something like that. I don't know. That's Do it. you keep a spare snare? Yes. It's the uh, it's the ones that are kind of a Black Beauty, but not a Black Beauty. I forget what they're called. Black, Black Magic. Magic? Okay. Yeah. Um, I got it sitting there, and I and uh, I posted a clip the other day of, of Bear swapping it out when I blew the strands out of my Black Beauty, and it's awesome drum. Um, and it just sits right here and my extra kick pedal sits right next to my main kick pedal mm -hmm. um, so it can hit the corner of my kick drum if I need it um, 
but yeah, I keep a spare on deck always. And, but yeah, that's it. It's a really simple rig. I don't have a lot of weird stuff. I might add some weird stuff later in life, but for now, <laughs> it's fine. So a couple things, black magic versus black beauty. What do you hear? That's the difference. Well, uh, that's a tough question for me because my left ear is shot. So I don't hear a lot out of mm. that one. And my right one, um, I don't, you know, depending, it, it so much depends on the head and what, how you're hitting it and how it's tuned that honestly, you tune a Black Magic really, really well. It's a great damn drum. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I don't I don't know that, you know, that I'm sure there's some people that, I'm sure if you put the exact head with the exact tuning and everything on it and you hit it the exact same way, I'm sure there would be some notable difference, maybe a little more brightness or a little more, you know, depth or whatever. But for me, um, they both sound great. They both have that metallic honk that I like. Um, the Black Beauty, I need to, we need to moon gel it a little bit mm, because okay. my front of house guy, you know, gripes at me for it going, for it, for having the Tom Lord algae. Boom! <laughs> it's the same um, head on both drums? Yep. I try to keep them tuned exactly the same as well. And what is that head? High energy? High energy. And I've used those because... They're the they're the secret weapon, man. No, not enough people know about those drum heads. I've had the we just changed my primary out, and the last time we changed it was mid nineteen. That's crazy. Now of course it's now of course it just sat in a case for all of twenty, but it had six months of touring in nineteen, sat on the drum for a year, and then five months of touring this year, and finally I was like, yeah, change it out, and it didn't break. We That's just changed nuts. the other heads out. I went to Forks and bought all the Tom heads. And while we were changing those out, Bear changed those out. And I looked over and I saw like, <clears throat> a, you know, another box. And I looked at it and it was like, you know, high energy. And I was like, oh, well, let's just swap them all out. But it wasn't even, it hadn't lost its tone. It wasn't broken. It was fine. I could have, I could have played it for, you know, a couple more months. And I've just swapped it out for the hell of it. So, so by I mean, comparison, how long would like a, a texture coated single ply last for you? <clears throat> Uh, on a snare you know longer than people would think um, a lot of people don't realize that the reason they go through those single ply heads either coated you know ambassadors or texture coated or whatever the Evans thing is those fur, those single ply clear or coated heads what a lot of people don't realize is the reason they burn through them real fast is they're not tuned up high enough mm. like when they're tuned like mid when, they're, when you're trying to go for that Picaro thud that thum it will pit and you'll destroy a, a single ply head like like mm -hmm. that so my tom's single ply head four shows okay that's quick three you know four four six shows um uh the the, the super twos uh, a month month and a half mm -hmm. you know i can get out of them because i don't i don't hit that hard anymore i used to hit like a gorilla but now i kind of don't um but on the snare, it's high enough to where it doesn't really pit, even when I use it. So longer than people would think, but not as long as the high energy. Mm -hmm. so maybe I'd get like half a month out of it, and then I'd then I'd have to get rid of it for sure. Snare tuning, say hi. What what does that mean by comparison? Do you have any kind of? Um, I don't have a note, but since I use six and a halfs, <clears throat> like anywhere that gets towards where you would put a five, you mm -hmm. know. So like if you think of medium tuning. Um, 
um, as you know, finger tight and then a full turn on every lug. Mm-hmm. You know, if you go a little bit up from that, it's so tight that it won't pit when you hit it. Uh-huh. You know, so when people think of toms, I try to say like any bop guy, really, Elvin toms, or, or and if you're thinking about rock and you're, I'm trying, I would, I, I go, oh well, well bottom. You know, you could put a single ply head at that tension where it goes mm-hmm. boom on that ten or twelve, and if it's ringing like that, then it's tight enough to where you're probably not going to pit it. But if it's low and you're going for that thud or you're going for that gad thing, you're going to pit it if you hit hard. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no way around that. <laughs> and it's cool if you like the way they sound like that. Cool. If you want a real thud, just get, pin, just get like pinstripes or response twos or whatever. Just get something with two plies and, you know, or, or even more than that and tune them down. So do you tune or treat your drums differently live versus than you would for a recording? Yes. <clears throat> uh, well, yes and no. Uh, I make them sound the way I, I like them. You know, but I am a little more panicked about it in the studio. Mm-hmm. You know, live, I just, when Bear changes the heads, or Will is, I call him, we call him Circus Bear. Um, when he swaps out heads, I just trust him. Mm-hmm. You know, he knows that I like fourths between everything. Okay. Um, and I don't need them to be to a note that the band is playing in whatever it was. They change keys. I don't, I, I don't care about that, but I like I like it to go boom, 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 boom. So I like mm. fourths. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like here comes the bride between every drum, you know. <clears throat> um, and I like fourths between the resonant head and the batter head. Okay. So the resonant head is a fourth up from the batter head, and that batter head is the resonant head of the next drum down. Ooh, okay. See what I mean? See what I mean? Some Illuminati stuff here. If you start, (laughs) so if you start on like your bottom floor tom, yeah, and you have your bottom floor tom batter head, and it feels right, and it's nice and round, and it's exactly what you want. The the resonant head is a fourth up from the batter head. Okay, that resonant head is the same note as the next drum up's batter head, Uh and then you go a fourth to that resonant head, and then the next drum up is with is the same note as you know what I mean. So then they all just when you hit them together, they go ooh ooh ooh. They're they're like little baby chords, Mm. and it just pleases me. Um, And Bear knows that that's what I like, and. He knows that I like the snare higher than he does, but he listens to the front of house guy who's like, I want it to be a little less cracky and he'll tune, he'll drop one lug closest to me and make it a little more fat. Um, But in the studio, you know, I have a lot more snare drums sitting there. I have, I have, sometimes I'll use a head that I wouldn't necessarily use live, like a single ply or whatever. So I definitely tune them a little bit different, but honestly, I always still go for that fourth unless somebody's just like, Hey, I I want you to do X. And a lot of times you'll have producers that are just, uh, it it seems in Nashville, you have one of two kinds. You have some that don't care and they let you do your job and they let you tune it up or let your car just tune it up or whatever. And they trust that you, you're going to make it sound good. Um, um, and they kind of don't care because they're going to sound replace you anyway. <laughs> right. <laughs> with, with, with samples from like Chad Cromwell or oh, yeah. whoever, <laughs> or the other guys that think they're like, 
that are hyper obsessive about, oh, it's really, you know, I got to get this. I would like you to use this other snare. And I really, can you take that lug just, just tune it down an eighth of a, you know, and it's like, man, you guys ain't making, you know, can buy me a thrill. Like you guys aren't making Asia, you know, and even if you were, they weren't. Like I can hear pedals squeaking oh, yeah, and yeah. out of tune lugs on all classic records that we all love. You know, uh, I can hear pedal squeaking on Zeppelin records, mm-hmm. you know, and so yeah, the, you either have the obsessive ones that are like, they're, they're making more work than they need. They're the guys that will have you do the song 46 times when it was great on the second mm-hmm. pass. Mm-hmm. And it was really lively on the third pass, but then the bridge was the best, but the second pass was kind of overall better. Maybe you want to edit that, but we're done. Mm-hmm. 20 more. <laughs> we're done. And they'll be like, no, nah, because they, they, they want to tell the client they spent 17 hours doing drums or something. You know, whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you really only have those two guys, the sound replacing dudes and the guys that are in the, 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 the men and women in the middle that are producing uh, that I like working with are typically the ones that don't have huge budgets and they don't have a lot of time anyway. So they're just like, make your drum sound good. Here's the song. Let's mm-hmm. rock. Right, and those right. are the ones that are like, <laughs> when I get, when I get a producer like that, I'm like, thank God for her. Cool. Let's <laughs> fucking do that song. You know? So, is there still an element of show and tell in the studio? I always heard that that's the vibe. You got to have the Black Beauty. You got to have a Superphonic. Just the- I think you know. I think it all falls into what we they, falls into the same two categories. Oh, yeah, the ones that are on this end don't care, and typically they'll be like, just use the house kit because yeah, it's right. dead and whatever. Right. And the ones that are really obsessive are like, oh, don't you have that? Um, don't you have a Tama Bell Brass? And you're like, no, I didn't have an extra $5,000 to spend on an overpriced drum. Thanks. <laughs> no, I don't have a Tama Bell Brass. And guess who's never going to own a Tama Bell Brass? <laughs> because if I have five grand, we're going to go to Costa Rica, and yeah, that drum is going to stay on the shelf somewhere. <laughs> you know? And I know there's there's a lot, you know, Elitch and those guys, like they'll, you know, they have those drums, but it's it's an investment. Uh, it's like buying a bottle of wine from 1920 or whatever. They're like, oh, well, this is going to increase in value in them by the next time I sell it. So, But I don't have the knowledge, the money, the time, or the energy to kind of chase that. Uh-huh. I have gone into to, to, uh, you know, Nelson and just been like, I got to have that. I saw those red. Uh, here, I'll clear you off the space right here. <clears throat> I, uh, I, uh, I walked in a couple months ago and I saw those. The, the centennial, I think there were bicentennial drums that Ludwig made in 1976, where they made like six months. They made like the acrylic kit that was red, white, and blue. Mm-hmm. Right. And they were awesome. And I saw them and I was just like, <laughs> I called JoJo. I was like, I got to get this drum set. <laughs> oh, I got to have it. And, you know, and I, I and went in. Got and, it. <laughs> yeah, I brought a drum set. I brought a set of 72s that I had gotten there a couple years earlier to Bryson. And I was like, what can you do me for? And he was like, I'll tell you what, you give me those drums and 500 bucks or 300 bucks, whatever. Like we worked a deal and I came home with them and they're, they're downstairs now. But like, you know, I, I, I forgot what the question was. I went off on a thing. <laughs> I went off on a tangent. Oh, it's a show either. and tell thing. Oh, like, yeah, you know, yeah. you, sometimes I'll roll in with those and people be like, oh, those are cool. But like, I don't have, I, most people, the, some of those big sessions where they're going to have you do 30 takes because they, they need to justify renting, you know, sound, 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 uh, emporium for a day or whatever. 
or they need to say they worked harder on something than they did. I did, I did four songs yesterday in two hours for somebody. And uh-huh. I think I did two passes on one of the songs. Uh-huh. And the rest of that time was talking about it and explaining it and listening to it and oh, back that up and let me hear what the guitar is doing and making a note to go, you know, because the guitar goes like, oh, okay, he's doing triplets. I'll do that. But if you do that and you pay attention and you do your homework, well, when you just go play it, the only difference is there's a thing, there's time banging away in your ear and you're on drums. So I would rather just do the homework do it once or twice or maybe three times and then just be done, mm-hmm. you know, but a lot of people don't do that and they want to see the $4,000 snare drum. And then, Oh, I got these uh, A's from the the fifties. It's like, cool. I'm going to shatter those. <laughs> True. <laughs> those are great. Yeah. Oh, you, Oh, you have one of Elvin Jones's rods. That's awesome. Hold it up. Let me hear it with my finger and then please put it over in the corner because I don't want to break that, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, you know, but so yeah, there is the show and tell. But I also don't spend a lot of time in the studio. I wish I did. I'm better in the studio than I am live. Mm. It was kind of my bread and butter for a while. But in Nashville, nah, you're the guy or you're not the guy. And in here, there's like in town dudes and there's touring dudes and there's session dudes. And some people can cross around. And I do a little bit. I don't play in town because I don't have the uh, those guys that and girls men and women that play down there i say guys as a catch-all but a lot of badass women in our town playing drum um the men and women that play down there have way more um they have a wealth of knowledge that i don't have somebody can call out a deep hank williams cut or a journey song and they can do either and they do Mm -hmm. and most people down there do it really well and i don't and i have friends down there that making ten thousand dollars a month Mm-hmm. you know, extra playing downtown. And they're like, oh man, you should do that. And I'm scared to death of doing that. Hey, I don't like being in crowds. And to me, that lower Broadway area looks like COVID soup to me right now. But, <laughs> yum. <laughs> but yeah, yummy. But but beyond that, I, I, I just don't have, I can't do what they do. Um, and I think I could, my, my ears are big enough where I could probably stumble through a set or two. But I know like Billy Freeman, he has a touring gig, but he, he, he pulled a 12 hours of drumming downtown a couple of weeks ago on one night, just four hour blocks, three, four hour blocks where he was doing like covers and original and like, he was like, yeah, man, yeah, that last one, you're just, you're just, you're just feeling it out and just following people. And I was like, I don't, I don't have the attention span to do anything for 12 hours. Well. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like a nightmare day to me. No, that's terrible. But he probably walked with a couple thousand dollars, but like, man, it scares me. So I don't do that, but I do do some studio stuff, but not a lot of people know or care. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of people are hip to me and want what I do um, or are aware of it. Um, some of my friends are the guys, uh, you know, that really do it. Um, I don't think it's necessarily misunderrepresented misunderrepresented for good drumming. I think that like there's a lot of men and women that are really playing great that probably could make some great records here that aren't aren't going to get a shot uh-huh. too, for sure. Um, but I do a little session stuff here and there. But most of my bread and butter is touring and occasional lessons. And uh-huh. you know. do you have any tips for per- performing live to a click? Like how to not have it make you insecure or locked up or yeah i think a lot of people blow it with the click because they approach it 
they approach it from the wrong perspective. And I think that they, um, they view it as this thing that is being forced upon them to keep them in time. Mm. And the reason I play well the click, and I do, and it's kind of the one thing I'm kind of cocky about, was like, I'll bury it if I want to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and it's low enough in my ears. When I post videos, I, I reef it. Like, I crank it in the mix. So, specifically so, it's so obnoxiously loud, the drummers can find an obvious, they can see, I want them to see where I'm specifically holding the snare back against it, mm-hmm. or what I'm doing with it. Even if I'm just screwing up, I want them to be able to hear it so they can go, oh, well, why did he screw up? I would rather teach that way than just bark. Mm-hmm. Um, and not to do as I say, not as I do. I'd rather them just see me screw up and go like, oh, I've, I, I want to post a video at some point. I got to find the right one where it's like, oh, here's me screwing up right here. And here's what I did to adjust my way back to it and mm-hmm. get it right. You know, but I, so but normally my click is so low in my ears that I only hear it when I'm when I'm screwing up. I only mm-hmm. hear it when I'm wrong. <laughs> so I hear it at the top and I hear the count. And when I kick in, I'm only hearing if I'm playing off of it on purpose or if I'm screwing up, you know. Um, but I view the click as a percussion player. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to sound like cocky with it either. Like people have their strengths and I've always played well with a click, partially maybe because of a little bit of the drum core stuff, but really because I viewed it as help. I viewed it as this wonderful thing that it's like if I had a percussion player with me with perfect time, mm-hmm. I'd be like, Oh, well, thanks. <laughs> right. I'm just going to, I'll just play to you. Cool. You know? So I don't view it as, as a, I don't view it as a competitive thing. I view it as this really wonderful opportunity to have this, this other thing handle all the heavy lifting. And all I have to do is listen to the singer and the guitar players and I have to just find my, find a way to make all of this sound good with each other while that keeps me grounded. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, I can play without it. You know, whenever John calls covers and a lot of times he'll do, he'll turn around and then right before we're done playing one song, he'll come back to the talk back mic and it'll be like, honk dong man, but why you him? I'll just turn around and I'll just like, oh, and I'll be looking down and I'm playing with one hand. I'm spinning my my click up to 144 because I know that's kind of where he likes Honky Tonk Man. And before that last song is over, I hit that button with my foot. So it's going. <laughs> so the clicks are like going off of each other. And then I kill one and he goes, come on, come on, my Honky Tonk. Oh, wow. And yeah. we jump in and that then I kill that click because I know that John, much like Earth, Wind, and Fire, and you know, you know, the, Tom Petty. The, John likes to speed up, mm-hmm. and it's like honky tonk woman. It's yeah, like the, right. The best sounding speeding, the best sounding rushing song in history. <laughs> you know, um, John likes to move, and I'll stay with him. I'll I'll, I'll chase him and mm-hmm. let it. What What do I care if it speeds up a little bit? Some Some jerk. Sitting in the grandstands and be like, "Good drummer, speed up. He sucks. <laughs> I don't fucking care. <laughs> that impacts me on no level. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, exactly. like if he thinks I'm terrible, you should see the DMs I get of people telling me how awful I am. <laughs> it's amazing. 
So it's let's amazing talk how about people, amazing how amazing how many insults I get from people who would collapse under the weight of my sound check. Yeah, I know, right? It's like armchair <laughs> quarterbacking. That's that's been the big thing well, for imagine, me. You got to do it before imagine, you can you know, critique it. <clears throat> that's the thing, and I have a lot of people that really have no problem critiquing me, and I, th- I think to myself, man, I wonder how they would feel standing behind a a country artist who at any given time might call any one of the 68 George Strait number one hits <laughs> or the entire body of work of Dwight Yoakam is on deck for, I want to jam this a sound check because he doesn't like playing his songs sound checks. We play these big outdoor things where the crowd is waiting in line right over there, uh-huh. like behind the grandstand. And he doesn't want to play songs that he's going to play in three hours. He doesn't want to play the hits. <laughs> yeah. So we check the loops and the stuff we need to, you know, for the modern stuff. But then we just, we jam covers. And the other day he called a 38 special song. <laughs> who knows caught up in you? Who knows that song? You know, I'll, I'll tell you who knows it. I'll tell you who knows it. 38 Special and our guitar player. Those are the only people <laughs> that know that song <laughs> because the rest of us were blowing it. <laughs> but John calls it out. So, you know, the funny thing is people, when people are like, oh man, that guy sucks. I can play along with that record. Yeah, you can play along with it when it's providing the time and the weight. But when you are responsible for keeping it in time and playing with all these humans and directing traffic because not everybody's on the same page and you maybe don't even know this song, and sometimes John calls those songs at, in the show. Mm. He called a George Strait song that I do not know the other night in front of 10,000 people. And I looked over at Will, who knows every country song in history, and he just went like this. He went, 88. I was like, <laughs> wow. And I just looked at him, and he just goes, and I was like, oh, I'll go to the ride symbol. And then he'll go, <laughs> yeah he'll point and he'll do like hand he's like literally doing like the baseball shit and i was just like part of me was just like why don't you yeah just, right i'll go piss <laughs> and you come play this song like i've had to piss for five songs why don't you come play this too but a lot of people that are really critical um they are armchair quarterbacks and it's kind of the worst kind because they don't know what they don't know and mm-hmm. they don't want to be like well you suck you're in your mom's basement there's plenty of great drummers in their mom's basement I know some wedding, my favorite drummer in the world plays in a wedding band, mm-hmm. Nathan Brown in Northern Virginia. And I, I, I love him. He's, he's infinitely better than I am. And I've always loved his drumming. And so I'm not going to dash wedding band drummers are great. There's people in their basements that have never had a gig that are great. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to critique a live drummer, kind of understand what he's doing. I've heard, I've heard people be like, yeah, I mean, I'm Freeze is okay. No, Freeze is not okay. <laughs> Yeah, you can hop on a plane and play with anybody, right? That's the gig. Yeah, Freeze isn't okay. <laughs> Freeze is exceptional at his job. <laughs> you know? You know? She's not okay. You know? Yeah, I heard uh, I heard someone complaining. They had tickets to see Sting, and it was with Josh and not with Vinny, and they were complaining. I'm like, it's the same level, just more punk rock. I mean, it's exactly the same anything, level. And if anything, I mean, you know, I didn't see them with Sting. I'm friends with Noel, the, the, who teched for both of them. Um and the Sting crew was stupid enough to not have him back uh, <laughs> now or whatever. But like, I um, I think that with Freeze, like I would, you know, I didn't see that show, but I, I was thinking, oh, well, you're probably getting more like uh, the police feel mm-hmm. on most of this stuff, right? Because 
you know, Freese's on the front side of the beat, you know, which is funny when other, I've had people be like, yeah, man, I'd like to hold it back like Josh there. I was like, Josh just never held anything back. <laughs> Josh sits on the front of, he's on the edge of his seat eating popcorn. Like, oh, yeah. He's not, he's not holding it back. But like, I would think that like that those police songs, especially would just feel like the police, mm-hmm. you know, so people like that are stupid. Yeah. You're not getting Vinny, but so what? You're, you know, you're getting Josh. You're getting, you're getting that cut off Regatta de Blanc that sounds amazing because Josh is doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, they're, so, they're they're different animals. Do you not like apples or oranges? What, what? <laughs> People are stupid. Forks Drum Closet, Nashville's full line drum store, celebrating its 40th year in business. Forks is independently owned and operated in the heart of Music City. Specializing in drums and percussion, Forks offers great discounts on all major brands and will beat any retailer's advertised price. From new and used equipment, vintage drums, and marching and orchestral instruments, Forks has something for every drummer. They also offer professional rental, repair, and restoration services, as well as drum lessons. Stop by their storefront at 308 Chestnut Street in Nashville, Tennessee, or call 615-383-8343, or go online at ForksDrumCloset.com. So you kind of led me down to this question. What is required at the pro level from the drummer? the pro touring, big stage, big room, big production. <clears throat> well, I don't know if it's required, but I know what makes it good. I know the ones that are doing it well and the ones that are men and women that are getting called back and getting other gigs. Uh, they, almost all of the ones that I respect and that I like have a conversational style of drumming mm. where they are listening to the other musicians on stage. They are interacting with the click uh, on a very organic level um, and they are impossibly well prepared the last one might be the only one that really is required mm-hmm. uh, you're not going to wing it you think you can you can't mm-hmm. you think the guys that are you, even if you go see animals as leaders or you go see like um, you know, pick anyone with like a monstrous drummer you go see Mono Neon or whoever you know you you, you, you see you see this, uh, what you think of, or Adam Deitch or whatever. You see these guys that are, is it Deitch? It's Deitch, yep. right? Um, I don't know him, but screw that guy. He's really good. Um, <laughs> uh, you get all, you know, you see these improvisational people playing and you're like, or Nicky Glasper or all these, play, you know, you see all this stuff and you're like, oh man, they're really just winging it. No, mm. no, they are not. They are winging this moment of music, but their vocabulary that they have developed, they're not guessing at this lick mm-hmm. halfway through it or this pocket or this beat. They have developed a vocabulary to where even when they are theoretically winging it through a song, they know what their body is doing and they know how they're interacting with that music. Mm-hmm. It's the same with old like watching people play jazz. And you're like, oh man, he's just, he, Juliana's winging it or real bop, like old school guys. No, they weren't. They were improv. They were improvising, uh-huh. but it's not like they were creating. You know, there were a few moments in the night where new vocabulary was being created by a mistake, or they really went for something. But as a general rule, they were aware of what their voice was capable of, and they were speaking with it. Uh-huh. You know, and I think the prep that goes into that is kind of the paramount thing. Uh-huh. Um, and a lot of people don't get that touring if they really want to be a touring drummer what the, what a lot of people really don't get and there are people in nashville that are like 
drum coaches and like, you know, influencing, you know, people that really go out of their way to present themselves as like, oh, I'll tell you how to do this that don't work and never and, and have, but in very short spurts and just never were able to keep gigs. What people don't get is the most simple aspect of touring is this. You are not paid for the show. The show you give for free because you're lucky enough to play drums for a living. You are paid for the other 22 and a half hours that you are not home with your partner, your pets, your bed, your food, your friends, your house. You are mm-hmm. paid for the trouble of not being at home and not doing something else. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what John pays me for. He pays me to not stay home and play on somebody else's record or not stay home and have dinner with my with my girlfriend or my daughter or pet this this puppy next to me. Like he pays me to do to not do stuff. I give him the show for free, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and when you're on a bus, I'm lucky I'm on a bus with condo bunks and six other dudes, just the band real easy. But even with just six people, you can take up a lot of space sometimes. Mm-hmm. you're in a bad mood you take up a lot of space in a 200 square foot rolling tube yeah you know um, and as grumpy as I seem online and as sardonic as I am in public you know on the bus pretty quiet I watch TV I, I don't read because it makes me sick but I'll, you know I'm on the phone or I'm you know messing around with Instagram or whatever but like if you're a jerk you're not <clears throat> keeping work mm-hmm. so that's kind of more important than playing on the road um, I think it's important to understand kind of the nature of it and what you are when people there's a lot of people that want to do it that aren't prepared to give up what they need to give up to do it mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah you know I sleep in a really awfully uncomfortable bed 200 days a year <laughs> right you know so but it's great but you have to know what that is and playing wise Playing is only a very small part of it. And I think the only part that you really must do if you want to be a touring drummer is understand the, the value of pre- preparation and understand the value of interacting with other humans, you know, in a very calm, you know, keeping things cool. Mm-hmm. That's, those are the two biggies that don't really have anything to do with, you know, licks. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier when you screw up, what is the tolerance of a screw up at that level? Like for me or for my artist, let's go both for my artist. The biggest thing you can screw up is making him wait more than three or four seconds Mm. with silence before a song is starting. He will lose his mind. (laughs) He, he, he wants the songs. I'm starting songs before the last ones are over Mm. typically. That's the intense. Counts, the counts of the next song. Like if you come out, it, 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 we'll, we'll, we'll talk after this, but I have a, a show in, in, in Pennsylvania. Uh, might be too far from you, but if you, when you do come out to a show and you listen to my mix, I'll, I'll see you laughing at mm-hmm. times because you'll hear like the guitar player finishing a song and I'm killing the click and the loops and I'm launching the next song before they're done. So you can hear me counting in a following song just so they go like this. You know? That's intense. It's so for him, there is no tolerance. Mm-hmm. Um, and at a, when you get to a certain level and I, where we're at, you, if you hit the rim, you know, or you, you do the, you do the stick thing and you don't hit and you miss a backbeat and it happens 
once a month or so. Mm-hmm. You know, when that happens, you see three heads out of the corner of your eye do that. Like, <laughs> Make sure you're all right. <laughs> like, you know, yeah, they, everyone hears everything. Mm-hmm. You know, the bigger you get, the higher up. The, and that's what I was trying to kind of convey when I posted that video of Bear swapping out my snare. When you get to a certain point, it isn't that it's more important or that the money's that much greater or that you're a hot shit. It's just that the bigger the shows get, your failure, your penalty for failure is greater. Mm-hmm. You embarrass an artist in front of 10 people, you might be mad or she might be mad. You embarrass them in front of 30,000 people, you're fired. You might be going home. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, so you really, it, it, the penalty gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's just more embarrassing. That's why it's infuriating for me when other people set me up for failure with doing something poorly, right? Mm. Um, but for me, my tolerances, there are none. If I make one mistake, it's it can't be an A-plus show anymore. Mm. Have you ever had an A-plus show? A perfect 10? Have I ever had a perfect 10? No. No, I don't think I have. I think I've probably had a nine. I've had a couple. There are those shows, and I know you felt this, and people that are listening, I hope have felt this at some point. Um, there are some times when you're playing. It doesn't necessarily need to be in a crowd. It doesn't need to be in front of thousands of people. It could be in your in your house. It could be you know on a friend's kit. There are those moments that happen sometimes where it doesn't feel like you are playing. Mm-hmm. Where you're like, I cannot screw up. <laughs> it's all perfect, you know. And you feel like it's just this pure, pure natural thing. Um, that doesn't happen often, but when it does, that feels as much like a perfect ten as it can. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but inevitably, I'm so scrutinous of things that, like, if I waver a little bit when I wasn't planning on it, to me, that is a mistake. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that is a failure, and it doesn't ruin the show for me. I'm just like, ah, oh, you fat bastard! Like I just, uh, <laughs> I just, I put a little, tick, tick, I, have a little t- I have a little clicker like they had back in the old drum corps days. We're like, nope, nope. Mm. Um, but I think I can. I think now my my average show um, is probably like a it's probably like a seven or eight. Like I, I don't really have big screw ups. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they do, they're like technical failures or whatever, but I don't think I've like spazzed out and like, like locked up or something in decades. Like I don't, I don't, I think that the more you, but I think that's also not like a look at my big, you know, look at me, I'm kicking ass. I don't think that's an arrogance thing. I think it's just rip. It's the 10,000 hours bit. Mm-hmm. Right. You know? It, it, so I think just, you know, ask the guy that is doing, all the best lawns or the, you know, ask the, the person doing all the best lawns in the city, you know, in the, with the biggest landscaping company, ask them how hard it is to get it done. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to be like, I'm, I'm pretty damn good at it. <laughs> you know, because they do 50 a day or whatever, 10 yeah. a day for, you know, so I think that's just, I, I have the opportunity to rep like the guys that, the guys and girls, men and women that play Broadway stuff, mm-hmm. you know, well, you're doing that show for 10 years you're probably unlikely to really shit on anything. Mm-hmm. I really only make mistakes when it's like new songs, you know, stuff like that, you know, covers that come up. But John is very, um, my artist is very cool about like, you know, when he calls a song, he knows I don't know. Like, 
You'll, it's got to be funny. It's got to be a little funny. There's there's a lot of fun. It's not all like tension. As a matter of fact, very little of it is tense. Mm-hmm. You know, um, he'll he'll laugh at those. He'd be like, "Boy, you better get this ending." You know, and I'll blow it. He'd be like, "Nah, ten bucks." You know, <laughs> no cookie. He turned around the other day and went, "No cookie for you." And uh, you know, so it's it's actually pretty good. But I think I I don't know that I've ever had a, a perfect show. I played uh, inebriated a lot in the '90s, so I may have had mm. one back then that I. <laughs> I don't drink anymore, but I, I may have had a couple of good ones. Back then. Do you have any tips or strategies for having a short memory for that kind of stuff? and not letting it ruin your night. Um, you mean for letting it go? Yeah. Like something happens and then not letting that derail the rest of the gig. Yeah. Let it go. It's gone. Yeah. You, you played it. You played a wrong note. You played a bad fill. It's over. Fix it as fast as possible. Get everybody happy. Mm-hmm. And then uh, be done. You know, I mean, it's easy to say that. Um, that's as easy as saying, oh, you're in a bad mood. Get over it. Cheer up. You know, it doesn't really, you know, it's not as easy as that. But it is something where you have to acknowledge, at least to yourself, that if you're playing music, whether it's for a living or not, that if you're playing it and you make a mistake, you cannot, you can't roll back time and fix that mistake any any better than you could go back to the eighth grade and pass chemistry <laughs> right like they're, they're, you can't the mistake is a mistake and it exists in, in infinity in infinite world now but there you go you're getting a call um but it's gone it, it's it's a moment that has now occurred mm-hmm. oh my tire blew i wish i could go back in time and change you know not blow my what fix your damn tire and keep going <laughs> You know what I mean? So I kind of view it as that. There are times when I get can get kind of like, oh man, it upsets you a little bit, but you have to stay present and realize that that you you are still you are still doing your job and all you will do is make things worse if you continue to think about the thing that is making you upset. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's hard to kind of kick out of that. But the biggest thing is you have to stay present in the moment that is occurring now, not the moment that occurred moments ago. Mm-hmm. You know, at that least is, with music, it's hard to do in an argument with somebody, but easy <laughs> to do, easy to do with music, at least for me. I've had the opposite happen where I'm like, oh man, this is going great. And then boom, something derails it. As soon as I start I've, thinking about it, it's like having a good dream. You're like, oh, this is cool. And then soon you realize you're dreaming, you wake up. I've absolutely had those moments. And again, I think it's repetition. And the more you can kind of prepare for mistakes, Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm always, I'm redundant. Like I have a foot pedal with a, with a boss click D, DB 88 or what, whatever. I have an extra click on my SPD. If the SPD goes down, I just, I look at John, I, I kill the tractor. I look at bear bear has an iPad that he can kill it and start it from his world. My monitor guy has another rig where he can just hit the space bar and kill it. I have a, like, I'll just, I, all I have to do is just hit a button and talk. I'll just kill everything. And in my playback, I'm going to talk back, Mike, I'll go, Ableton's dead. Follow me. Click. Mm. You know, and everybody just gets in line. And I think, again, it's reps. Mm-hmm. Anyone unwilling to do the reps. And that's a big problem with like the, uh, I don't mean to be the old guy being like the youth, but that's <laughs> the big problem with, with Instagram drumming is that 
Nobody wants to put in the reps to actually do it well. They, they want to get all the notes, but all the spaces in between the notes don't mean anything to them anymore. And they don't realize that the only way to make those right is reps. Mm-hmm. I can rep through that paradiddle diddle thing with the two two notes at the end of the foot. You know, the, the hot lick that everybody mm-hmm. just kind of does everywhere. <laughs> um, you, you don't have to rest in between those notes. Yeah. So it really just ends up being like a string of you know, absurd loudness, you know, but like if you don't have to practice those rests, well then you're gold. You just get faster and faster and faster. But if you don't rep, you know, time with the click and you don't really pay attention and really spend some time earning your stripes and your scars, you're never going to really get at it. Mm. There's a lot of really, Mm. there's a really good, a lot of really good technical drummers uh, that really aren't, good drummers in my opinion mm-hmm. you know they're flashy and they got a couple hundred thousand followers and everybody loves them and you know but i don't i don't i would i don't you know i would i would literally can't think of anything i would want to listen to less than they're playing um and that's because you i can tell that they don't care about the space mm-hmm. all they care about is the violence you know and uh what's that that's not really drumming man we, so much we, more we could talk about that i want to I gotta wrap it up soon, but yeah, how do you, how did you develop the ear to hear that stuff? It took for me years of of very years. slow practice. It takes years, and that's what people don't want to hear. They want their money and their fame, man. Mm-hmm. and they don't. You know, I I've had twenty year olds ask me how, literally look me dead in the eye, pay me for a lesson, give me a hundred bucks, basically so they can not pay attention to what I'm teaching them, and at the end take a picture for their Instagram and ask me how they can get where I am. But, but earlier, they don't want to be as old as I am when they get there. <laughs> of course. It's like, uh, yeah, there are 25 year olds that can do what I do, but they were very diligent, very lucky or very, very naturally talented. Yeah. Yeah. One or the other. Now I've been the first one, a lot of the first one, some of the second one and the least of my skills are the third one. Now, to be fair, I never couldn't play drums. First time I ever sat down, I, I just, for whatever reason could play time, mm-hmm. but I don't have the natural ability of, you know, you look at a guy like Benny Grab and you think there's no way he was ever bad at this. Mm-hmm. Like he couldn't have been right. But you can also see the diligence you know, mm-hmm. and I've met him and he's like, the kindness pours out of him and he's like very intellectual and you can, you can see that he put his time in, mm-hmm. you know, um, the, the, there's no quick way to get really great at this. You can get really great at drums, but you can't get great at music without spending some time with it, mm-hmm. without listening to stuff. Right, right now, Man, I'm 50 and I've spent this year trying to figure out how the hell Mitch Marine and everybody that ever played for Dwight made it feel like that. Because if you think you can play a Dwight Yoakam song correctly, you're wrong. <laughs> it's just, you can't, it, it, it's kind of like, you know, and people are like, it's kind of like, what interests me isn't the stuff that I can do. Like if somebody's like, oh man, can you play a, no disrespect to, you know, Travis Barker, but no, can you play that Blink-182 song? Of course I can. Can you play that Frank Zappa song? Yeah, I can play that one. I can't do, I have a really hard time with that middle section of, of, uh, 
keep it greasy, but I can probably do a big chunk of Catholic girls, you know, like mm-hmm. I, 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 you know, but what that doesn't interest me because that's just learning the, the parts, yep. the feel of stuff interests me. And if you, if you want to dig, you know, that's why it infuriates me when you see like that, that, there was some jerk that made a real asinine post about Charlie Watts being a, a, a bad drummer. Oh gosh. After, yeah. The day yeah. after he passed away. And it was like, here's the thing. If you think that Mick Fleetwood, Charlie Watts, Ringo, if you think these people aren't phenomenal drummers because you can play the notes that they play, um, besides being an idiot, you have a great deal to learn about feel. And to me, notes don't interest me and the feel of stuff does because I've tried to cop all three of those drummers and it can't, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. I can play every single note that Charlie Watts, Ringo Starr or Mick Fleetwood has ever done. And I am a hundred percent sure, especially at their, at the ages they are now, I'm hundred percent sure I can do it faster and stronger and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and I can't make it feel right. I can't play honky tonk woman and make it feel right. I have yeah. tried. A, I've, been, I, a, I've tried to tune my kick drum like that, and B, I've tried to play the song and I can't do either. <laughs> you know, and a lot of people kind of miss that, and that's to me that's the biggest that's the biggest thing. Do you have to put the time in? And it, of course, they feel like that. Now, Charlie Watts it was more like he was seventy when he when he when we recorded some of his classic songs, but it was him. Mm-hmm. So for me, a lot of people don't kind of get that you have to be present. You have to be, you have to love the instrument, not the fame and shit that comes along with it. When people, you know, people toast your narcissism on Instagram that Mm -hmm. if you're in it for that, you're never going to actually be good. Mm -hmm. You're never actually going to be anybody worth hearing. You're going to be, you might be busy. You might get some clinics. You might be, celebrated on Instagram. There's a kid here that has, you know, 60,000 followers, whatever. He's super fast. Mm-hmm. Nobody works. Last time I saw him, he was asking me how to boost his, you know, people's awareness when he was my waiter. <laughs> and no disrespect to that. I'm not, I'm just, I'm being a smart ass, but like, you know, uh, that's, that's honest work. Do it. Work, be a waiter and, or, and get your gigs, you know, and do it. But like, don't, don't try to jump the line because mm-hmm. Instagram will allow you to, because you'll jump the line for a minute. You know, that's my problem with like, you know, kind of, I want to be supportive of, of, you know, all of the non white males that are, that have dominated the art form. You know, I want to be supportive of my friends that aren't that. And, but I will support the people that are playing. Mm-hmm. It's not good enough for you to be cute. Yep. or have a halter top or have a cool tattoo or have you know, have a weird look. It's not good enough for me. I'm not going to celebrate that. I love cute kids and I love, you know, that everybody of every you know, age, sex, genre, you know, gender, religion. I love, I love how inclusive drumming is, but I'm not going to promote and cheer for you for cuteness or mm-hmm. sex appeal or interesting if you were playing drums and putting the work in, I will promote you and I will, I will celebrate you and I will try to help and I will listen to it, you know, and cause that's the stuff that I like. I don't like the flashy stuff. Uh, just if I like flashy stuff, if it's part 
Mm-hmm. But if it's just that, I don't care. And there seems to be a lot of people that are unwilling to wait and be patient and earn. There, there's a certain way people play when they have scars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Um, and there's a certain way you play when you've slept in the back of the van in Boston in February because somebody drew, has to draw the, because you drew the short straw and somebody has to sleep with the gear. <laughs> right. <laughs> and when you're laying in the back of that van and it's 12 <clears throat> and you can't leave the idle on all night because you need gas to, you know, when you're bundled up in your sleeping bag and you're guarding the gear all night in Boston and you're 23 you really decide, you really start thinking about whether or not you want to do this for a living. Uh You make those, you have those, I guess some people call them come to Jesus moments, but you have those discussions with yourself that night and the day you realize you can't pay for health insurance and the day you realize you're, you know, you don't have enough money to cover rent. Like when you're a struggle, when you struggle for several years to make something happen, I, I think you respect it more. Mm-hmm. And I think you, with, with, without having to have those conversations with yourself and really ask yourself, am I good enough to do this? Am I strong enough to do this? Do I have anything to offer anyone? You have to face that fear of being a fraud, you know? Mm-hmm. And if you don't, if you're never faced with that because everybody's just shining you on because you, you know, your sticks are cool and you're, you know, you're fast, like, cool you then you never have to face it like a handful of people will employ you and they basically employ you to play solos all night and you're probably gonna get fired in a year Mm -hmm. you know and a lot of those people that are like that they call me and all of my friends in nashville asking if there's work of course yeah if you're asking that question they all do they got two hundred thousand followers and everybody's like "Eh, yeah they're great and those dudes they're (laughs) calling us they're dming (laughs) blind they're they're unsolicited dming Drummers in Nashville, like, yo, man, is there, uh, you know, is there any gigs coming out of there? And it's like, not for you, man, not for you. That's that's deep. I think about that a lot. Like, you jump in the line, like you're expecting stuff to be handed to you, and you haven't done, you haven't played on Broadway or whatever it may be. You haven't put in your hours. You haven't driven you haven't twelve hours to play for three people. You know that that stuff. Well, and you know, and hey, all due respect to the the content creators that are that are making a life for themselves without having to do that. That's fine. I know that the Dromeo dude posted a video about that. Like one time being very kind of indignant about the concept that you had to work for it. And, you know, the, you know, this is just the same kind of work, you know, creating content. No, it's a different kind of work. It's not mm. the same kind of work. It's not putting in the same kind of hours. It's not putting the same, it's not learning the same kind of calluses. Mm-hmm. It is understanding it's it's oh i built my own hammer and i understand how hammers work and i built this machine that hammers for me so i put in the time Mm, it's still not the same calluses as the carpenter that swung a hammer for 12 years Mm -hmm. so it's a different art form it's a different set of skills um that guy isn't much of a teacher or a drummer but he's obviously a great marketer okay well that's a different set of skills Mm -hmm. um and he's great at promotion. He's great at like understanding hashtags and stuff. I mean, I don't understand any. I'm get, I'm finally getting okay at it because uh, JoJo is teaching it to me, you know. But like, okay, this guy has a set of skills. Okay, well, call it what it is. Mm-hmm. Don't 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 try to 
you know, pretend that your set of skills is the same set of skills that are mine. We are, we are different animals. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, so tell me, you know, go ahead. You tell someone that's why I have a problem with people that are like, you know, you know, learn how to be a pro drummer, pro touring drummer in 10 days. Can't be done. Sorry. That's a stupid, <laughs> that's a stupid thing. Instead, teach a class on the, on internet yeah. and on hashtags and, and on self on promotion. Do that. And if you want to do like beginner's lessons on here's how you hold sticks, well, okay, he can probably do that. But when he's in there trying to, oh, here's how you play Africa or, or Rosanna. No, that isn't. <laughs> right. That isn't at all how Rosanna goes. <laughs> it's the notes, but <clears throat> nothing else is right. Mm-hmm. And if Jeff were still here, he would try to explain that to you. He would. He would be like, and it's not like you, know, but he probably wouldn't do it well, but he, you're not, that's, that isn't what you're doing. Yeah. You're, you're teaching your, you know, you're like, you're, it's literally the equivalent of going like, here's how you make cupcakes, egg, milk, flour, sugar, and you put icing on it after it bakes. <laughs> that's what most Instagram lessons about drumming are. They're, they're kind of blurting out the ingredients. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of giving you an idea of it'll have to be baked, but at what temperature and for how long, I just wing it. And there's some sort of icing on top, but yeah. like none of it is very comprehensive and cohesive, you know? And I, I know that, um, I hope that by the time this comes out, it's been announced, but I'm doing, doing basic. <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> and I, I just, I was telling Eric, uh, Hughes that like, I want to make my clinic, like 50 minutes of basically how to steal my job, mm-hmm. like 50 minutes of like, here's everything you need. Just, 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 just do this, do this. And you can come to Nashville and literally steal my gig. If you're like, come do it. If you can mm-hmm. take it, if you can take my gig from me. And I tell this to people, they're like, Hey man, there's guys in Nashville, like tell people don't to come to not come. I've had people introduce themselves to me and be like, yeah, man, I talked to so-and-so and he was like, yeah, there's no work there. No, there's work here. Mm-hmm. If you, what they don't want to say is the truth of it is if you can come to town and you can take my job from me, it's yours. <laughs> I work really hard to do it well, but if you want to move here and you can convince John that he needs to fire me and hire you, then by all means, it was yours to have, you know, there is work, but that's some Jedi stuff, right? You yeah, got to train I mean, your disciples to beat you. You got Yeah. You, I mean, and, and what, why wouldn't I? Mm-hmm. And even if they're not disciples, even if they don't care about who I am, if they stumble into that room or see it online or something, I want somebody to go like, oh yeah, putting your backup pedal right next to your primary pedal to where it can still hit the edge of the head. If this one dies, that's way smarter than leaving it six feet behind you on the edge of the riser. (laughs) So when your pedal breaks, you've got to do that bullshit where you play the kick drum pattern on your floor, Tom, and Mm. you lose an entire limb. That's way smarter. Like, why wouldn't I want everyone to adopt that? Yeah. Right. Like it's, it's, it's easy. Why wouldn't I, what am I going to hide that? Like, Oh, that's my trick. (laughs) Stupid. I don't feel that way about anything. Like, I don't feel I, I will give away every secret I have if somebody's willing to ask me. People have asked me, "How do you do this thing?" And I'll just I'll give them a lesson right there at the county fair. Like mm-hmm. I have no I have no compunction to like hide some secret, you know, code. 
What I've learned over the years, maybe you agree, is it doesn't matter what the secret is, you still have to do the effort. You still have to put in the time. So the ultimate Man. secret is you're not willing or able to put in the tedious work that, that is required to well, do this. Think about like the uh, the magicians and like card. There, there's a, a, a drummer in town named Asa Wiggins, and I know that he, he plays for uh, Tennille Towns. And <clears throat> I didn't know this about him when we toured together, but I saw this video of the other day of him doing like, he was doing like a, magic trick with cards mm. or a card trick or whatever. And I was like, I, I'm always thrilled by like magicians and card, card guys, you know, because it's like, it's a skill that I don't have, you know, but he could show me what he's doing and I still couldn't do the, mm. there's still some stuff you gotta do. Right. <laughs> you know? So to me, everything is like that. Chefs are like that. Mm -hmm. you, I, I, I saw, it was like Kat Cora. I forget her name. I think it was that. But I saw a thing on the Masterclass series that I have where she was doing this amazing dish or whatever. And I was trying to like, oh, I can make that vegan for me and JoJo. And I was thinking about it. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. I don't have a clue how she's doing like nine of these things. Mm -hmm. But she's got these 30 years of, of history and of reps. Mm -hmm. You know, and I'm not bitching and saying, look, everybody has to put in the 30 years. You only get to be successful at 40. <laughs> but like, there seems to be an entire, uh, uh, like this, this whole like blindness to putting in any work other than whatever will get you likes. Uh -huh. And that to me is kind of missing all the, you're, you're going to miss all the joy. That's kind of like if somebody, well, I have, I have plenty of metaphors, but you know, there, there's a beauty to the long arc of something. Uh -huh. There's a beauty to meeting someone and talking to them and being excited by them and then moving on to the bigger things and bigger things. If you just, if you just ran into each other, started pulling clothes off, it's like you miss a lot of this stuff, <laughs> you know, and, and cooking is like that. It, that's why we don't even have a microwave because there's a part of, part of the beauty of eating is, is what went into it. Mm -hmm. you know? And I feel that way about drumming. I feel that way about it, it, You know, it's, it, it, there's metaphor after metaphor, but if somebody just like, blurted out the, the you know the point of Ernest Hemingway or Cormac you know the road was about the desolate future and everybody dies well <laughs> yeah that's kind of the road that's kind of the road you've also missed all these amazing sentences that Cormac McCarthy you know carved out of stone mm -hmm. on the way to this desolation and it isn't about that when you start reading it it isn't about the desolation. It's about other things because of the nuance in the work. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And there's nuance to drumming that gets so, it's just so readily gets missed, even just playing time. And that's why there are still idiots out there like, Charlie Watts, oh, I guess I guess Ringo's the worst drummer now. And it's like, oh, you stupid. <laughs> that is like, terrible. You're just an idiot. <laughs> What, what I'm yeah. sure you're I'm sure people love playing music with you <laughs> if you play the way you think I'm sure you're really fun to play bass to you know? oh man all right last question what was your first snare drum uh Ludwig Acrylite still have it shop. uh no it, it, it was in a case that was stolen out of a storage unit in um a rehearsal space or storage unit in LA and in that case were four drums you're can't wait to see your face when mm -hmm. oh god <laughs> one case and in that case was a the very first run of the done it titanium single flange hoops mm -hmm. 
uh, a Aot Keplinger. Remember those? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And the my welcome. I was with Peisty long ago, and I had a 2002 snare drum. One of the no, you didn't. <laughs> yeah, one of the deeper ones that are really hard to find. I can't remember how I acquired it, but it was like Oof. I had the eight inch. Oh really, my god! Really hard to find. <clears throat> um, and uh, or there was a six and a half. It was the big one. It was the deep guy. And um, and in that last slot was my first Acrolyte that I had in the case with the Billy Gladstone pad. Oh yeah, vacuum and pad. The, uh, yeah. And, the, and the really awful stand in that book with the. Yep, yep. <laughs> with the guy, it was like, was it? A, I forget who it was, but I, it, it was that snare I got in the fifth grade. Wow! In, in Orange, in Unionville, Virginia, where I went to middle school or nice. grade school, and I, that snare was in that that twenty dollars snare drum was in there with like these <laughs> really expensive drums, and they were gone. And I never, none of them. It was pre-internet. Mm. So Man. it wasn't as easy as going like, hey, this really, these three really rare drums just got stolen from me. They're going to pop up in a pawn shop somewhere in LA, like, or, you know, Oof. somebody rolled into Pro Drum two days later and sold those things for three grand each. Yikes. Probably. Wow. I was trying to end on a positive note. Oh, uh, but you know, <laughs> but no, I, it was an Acrolyte. And that's why I loved my first kit was a beat up old marble Ludwig kit from uh-huh. I think I think it was like early 70s probably late 60s early 70s and I had uh, the worst thing I have a picture of it and I'll I'll send it to you if I can find it uh, man it's too bad I didn't know this 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 was coming because I uh, I I had a drum I think it was a split shell I, I can't make the the picture big enough to see but I think it was a split shell like 20s or 30s Ludwig. Oh wow. And I didn't know shit about shit and I was using it as a timbali. Of course. <laughs> and I ended up throwing it away, I think, because I didn't like it because I thought it was broken because it looked bent where the snares. Oh, Remember how they, they crimped it? Yeah, yeah. And I was, you know, I was a dumb kid and I I'm, I think I have it here. I'm looking for it. And I thought, oh well, it's broken. It's mm. dented. <clears throat> and I I threw it away. Wow. So, but uh, yeah, my first one was actually a, uh, uh, it was actually a Ludwig Acrolyte. And that was why it was wonderful when I finally went home to, I uh, can't find it. I'm going to find it. I'm going to send it to you and you're going to laugh. But yeah, it was good for me when I finally kind of <clears> went <throat> home to Ludwig and Uli was like, hey, join the roster. I was like, cool. I started with that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've had every kind of kit. I've had a Tama <clears throat> Imperial Stars, which were awesome. And I had like some Pearls and stuff. And funny thing is, I'm friends with everybody at Pearl, like Farquhar Harrison and Flat and those guys. It's literally right down the street from my house. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, um, so we pop in there to say hi all the time. And you know, I just happen to be on Ludwig's roster, you know. So, I mean, I, but it was nice to go home to Ludwig. And I, I, I would like to, I told Stanky when I signed with Sabian, I was just like, man, I really just, you're not going to fire you, are they? Because I really just want to, like, I'm tired of idiots getting rid of people that are great at their job and I love. Like, you're going to be there for a while, right? And he was like, yeah, I think I'm good. And I was like, cool. I I don't want to stack up endorsements and I don't want a bunch of different drum sets. I have two. Yeah. I have the one here and the one on the road. I don't want a <clears throat> hundred snares. I don't want different symbols. I just want people that I like 
to work with me and and we help each other mutual you know like a mutual arrangement where i promote them and they they help me out with my gear so i can stay on the road and i just want that i, mm-hmm. I want no drama i don't want to like ooh this stick company's cooler <laughs> or this drum set sound like when you get when you're talking about the top of the line kits or any any of the kits like yeah take your pick right <clears throat> i mean when you're when you're in the three thousand dollar range for a drum set it's probably not going to suck mm-hmm. now what do you like do you want this mod tone or do you want this vintage thing or whatever because i went with ludwig because of certain reasons i wanted it to sound a certain way for mm-hmm. me but like you know i just want i want to be tight with my people mm-hmm. i love that i can call uli and just be like yo man what's up and we don't necessarily have to talk about drums and when i text him i was like hey i got this clinic coming up he's like oh man i got you it's cool just hit me up you know like mm-hmm. I talked to Chris Brady the other day and we talked for, I don't know, an hour. And the last three minutes of it was like, ah, do you have any super twos laying around? <laughs> right, right. You know, um, I like that, mm-hmm. you know, so I was happy to go for, I started with Ludwig. <clears throat> I was happy to hopefully end, you know, with Ludwig. I mean, I'm 50, I got some time left to keep playing drums. <laughs> I like these drums. I like them so much. I'm not getting him to replace the drums I already have. Oh, yeah. He's literally been like, do you want a kit yet? And I'm like, nah, <laughs> what, I need 10 drum sets. I'm not doing any drum camps at my house. You know, like, I don't need 10 kits. Yeah. Oh man. Ten well, kit. If I have 10 kits, eight of them are going to sit in the corner. Uh, yeah. I mean, I've got a little bit of that problem here. <clears throat> I don't have the room either. We have a small house, a lot of animals. You know, my daughter's living here for now. And like, so I don't, I don't have anywhere. I don't know where I would put 12, you know, five drum sets. Mm-hmm. I bust Jeff Brown's b- balls all the time. He's like 40 snare drums. I'm like, what? <laughs> you only have two hands. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Well, thank you so much. This has been a great, I mean, we went 90 minutes deep. Thank you. Oh man. I'm sorry. I talk a lot. <laughs> I still have to work out. JoJo's over here like workout clothes like, let's, let's go. Let's work out, man. That's it for the episode this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. Please give us a review over on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Drop us five stars. Leave a couple comments. Share it if you dig it. Um, the show's growing. I'd like to see it keep getting building steam. So thank you again for listening. Um, and I'll see you next week. Have a good one. <laughs>